following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thanksgiving, rejoicing and celebrating the goodness of God. Um, and, and, and I love here and, uh, a couple of times in this section, he says, look, there's one law for the native Israelite and the sojourner. Right? Uh, and it was this picture that Israel was to be drawing to them uh, other worshipers. The, the blessing of God in the promised land was to be such that it was attracting others who would want to come and experience God's presence. He said they are welcome to come, but they have to come through the same path and the same channel, through the same covenant, through the same laws, the same regulations. Right? But they are invited to come and, and worship God at his temple. Um, so, so really this is a picture for us, um, uh, and really a promise, it's a picture and a promise of living in the joy of God's fulfilled promises. Right? And so for the Israelites, this right now is a message of hope. Right? These commands are commands, but they're also a message of hope that God will fulfill his promises. Uh, and, and God's promises work that way. Right now we live, and we should be living in, uh, to some extent, the fulfillment of God's promise. And if God saved you, he has fulfilled certain of his promises in your life. Uh, but of course, not all of them. And it also looks forward the ultimate fulfillment of all his promises and plans. And that is not dependent on us. It is by his grace. It is by his grace. And so what they're celebrating, what they are to be celebrating here, ultimately is God's grace and faithfulness and goodness toward them. As they live, as they one day will live and experience that promise fulfilled. And in that, they are drawing in outsiders. Um... And so it holds out hope, right? So, it, and, and if you're if you're an Israelite right now, and uh, you just realized you forfeited the promised land, right? And you you can't go forward, and you can't go back. It would feel pretty hopeless. But in these commands, God renews hope. He says, "Look, it's not over. I am not finished, and there's hope. So keep pursuing me." Right? Keep uh, following me. Uh, what about us? Right? Um, you may feel that that you have made such sins and mistakes in your life that somehow the best you could hope for is some kind of second alternative contingency plan. Right? You ever feel that way? I, I do sometimes. I feel like. Um, you know, if everybody knew the sins that I have done and, and the things that I, the mistakes I've made, that 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 at best I could just hope to kind of live out on some kind of second tier, you know, of like the guys in the wilderness, you know, permanent timeout that's not going anywhere. Um, but that's not God's promise, right? It doesn't matter how badly you've messed up because it. It doesn't depend on you or me. Right? God will fulfill His promises by His grace in the face of our sin and rebellion. So the question is, if we've received God's grace, if we are people who have put our faith in the work of Christ to, 
to sanctify us, to make us holy, to make us right with God? Um, are you walking in the goodness of, of those fulfilled promises? Now, not all of them, right? There's more. There's more. But there should be a sense in which we're living and experiencing uh, God's fulfilled promises in our life. Uh, and if that's true, if we are experiencing His grace and His forgiveness, the outpouring of His Holy Spirit in our life, and the transforming work of His Word, um, then we should be a people like, like Israel who are continually offering up to God offerings as a pleasing aroma to Him. Uh, do, we, do we really take celebrating God's grace seriously? I mean, I, I believe we do on Sunday morning. I believe that's one of our primary, if not the primary reason that we gather here on Sunday morning at this church is to celebrate God's grace and goodness, to give Him praise and thanks continually. Uh, but it can't stop here. right? It should be the daily habit and practice of our life that we worship Him with offerings of praise and faithful service and gratitude. Right? If, if we are living... Uh, in the fulfillment of his promises? Uh, are we giving back to God generously out of the abundance of his blessing in our lives? Okay. Um, that's, that's the picture here. Uh, then it moves on to another rather interesting change of topics uh, a little bit. Uh, and in this passage, uh, it's marked or divided by the phrase, speak to the people of Israel. Right? So in, in verse 17, let's read on. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying... Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, and again, I love this phrase, when you come into the land to which I bring you. Again, restating that promise. And when you eat of the bread of the land, uh, you shall present a contribution to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall present a, a loaf as a contribution. Like a contribution from the threshing floor, so shall you present it. Some of the first of your dough you shall give to the Lord as a contribution through your generations. So another rule, this is a new one. They had learned about giving first fruits. So when they were to harvest any crop or when an animal um, gave birth to its first offspring, they were to bring that as an offering of first fruits to God. Uh, this is a new one, though. This is uh, not only when you harvest the grain, but we actually bring the grain home and you make it into bread and you bake it. Um, you are to dedicate the first dough, or the first doughnut, the first loaf of bread, whatever it is you're making, the first one, you are to dedicate as an offering to God. Um, and so uh, I like this because... Uh, I, I'm imagining, I might, be, I might be completely wrong on this, but I'm imagining that the work of harvesting was largely a, a guy thing, and uh, the, the, the work of cooking bread was largely a, 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 a mom thing, a lady thing. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm picturing in, in, in that time that's how it worked. Uh, and so on both sides, they're both invited to, to participate in this practice of, of offering a, a gift of first fruits. Uh, and with the bread, there's some debate on this, whether it means only at the harvest time or all throughout the year. I, I take it as throughout the year. Every time they make a batch of dough, they pull off a lump and they make a, you know, some kind of little loaf of bread, non-bread or whatever, they pita something, uh, flatbread, and they offer that to God. Right? It was a gift to God. Um, 
uh, a contribution, uh, again, showing thankfulness to, to God. Um, and, and again, this is something that, that they can't do now. Right? They don't have enough grain, and apparently, you know, the whole manna thing just didn't really work out so well uh, for baking. I don't know. I mean, this is they, they baked it, so I don't know why they don't do this now. But this is looking forward to the time when they will have fields that they harvest, and they'll have places to store grain, and they'll have ovens to bake it. Right? Um, and bread is, is the most daily, basic daily staple. Uh, probably they did this every day. Every day they made a new batch of dough. Kind of like in Thailand, every day you make a new batch of sticky rice or rice, right? Every day. It's a daily thing. It's a daily practice to be, to be doing what? To be putting God first. Right? God gets the first. And the reason He gets the first is He's the source of it all. It came from Him. And so it's acknowledging that I didn't make the, the, the grain grow. Right? And it's by, it's by God's grace that the sunshine shone and the, and the rain came and we have a harvest. And I have something to make bread with. So it's acknowledging His supply. And it's giving back to Him a portion of it to demonstrate that He must be first above all things. Right? He gets the first portion, not the last. That's not like, well, if everybody's eaten and they got their full and everybody's happy and you have some leftovers... Give God the leftovers. Right. Honestly, how much of our Christian life works this way? Well, if I have time, you know, maybe I'll go to that Bible study. If I have time and I'm not too busy, maybe I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. Maybe I'll go to church, but I'm pretty busy that week. Right? Uh, how much of the Christian life works that way? But, but that, that is not what God calls us to, right? He is to get the first of everything. Of everything. And, and I love how this brings it down into everyday life. On a daily basis, they are to give Him the first portion to show Him their dependence on Him, that He is the bread of life. That, that their life is dependent on Him, not on, on food or on their own labor. This is a great reminder for us. Right? Are we putting God first in everything? Right? Uh, do we acknowledge that everything we have comes from Him as an act of His goodness and grace? And are we making Him first by giving Him the first and highest priority in our life? Um, do we give God the first of our income? Right? Or, or, or is our offering kind of leftovers? Well, if, if I make it through the month and I have anything left over... Or is it really the first? If we, do we really say, you know, God is first in my life and He gets the first cut? Right? That's, that's scriptural. Um, and, and I wonder what this would look like if we kind of practice this. Um, I think this would make a, a cool impression on our children if we, did, if we actually did this, right? Because I'm picturing how this would work. You know, mom takes this lump of dough and she flattens it out and she makes this piece of bread and she sets it off to the side and little Junior comes up and he's about to eat it and she smacks his head. <laughs> That's God's bread. Ooh. Like, he gets the first, right? And then, and then Dad gets second. I don't know how that works. Maybe, maybe the kid gets, I don't know. But um, what, what an image, right? Imagine if we actually did that. If we, um, if we took that first lump of sticky rice and we set it aside and we said, look, this portion is for God. Right? Or in that... In that 
box of Krispy Kreme donuts that you just brought back from Don Mung, right? <laughs> right? And you set aside those treasures of Krispy Kreme donuts and you set aside one and say, look, this is for God. What an awesome way to teach our kids what it means for God to be first in everything, big and small, in our life. Or how about this? Do we give God the first hour of our day? Or, or do we rush off into our life with little thought of Him? How, how can God really be first in our life when He's not first in our day? Right? And, and, and I'll be the first to tell you, I am not a morning person. So I give God the first of my day, and it's not the best of my day. It's probably the worst, because I just don't wake up, right? But it's what, it's, it's what it is, and I drink my coffee, and I drink more coffee, and I, and I, but I give that time to God, right? Because he deserves the first. Um, and, and I hope it's more than a few seconds, right? I hope it's worthy of one who's deserving of a sweet aroma, uh, a gift of offering and praise. Um, so we make God first. Uh, then uh, the next, next section uh, is actually really a subsection under this. Um, and uh, I've titled it since I don't have... Oh, I do have it. Wow, it came up. It's there. Um, uh, gathering firewood. Also seems a bit random and kind of uh, somewhat unrelated. Uh, but the section begins like this. But if you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments that the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by Moses from the day that the Lord gave commandment and onward through all generations, then, if it was done unintentionally without the knowledge of the congregation, all the congregation shall offer one bull from the herd for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord with its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the rule, and one male goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the people of Israel. And they shall be forgiven because it was a mistake. And they have brought their offering, a food offering, uh, to the Lord for their sin offering for the Lord for their mistake. And all the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven and the stranger who sojourns among them because the whole population was involved in the mistake. Okay, so first he talks about an unintentional sin that involved the whole community. Uh, and we'll talk in a minute about what an un- unintentional sin is. But the idea here is basically that they didn't know. They did something that was against the law, but they, for whatever reason, weren't aware that they were violating the law. It was in ignorance. Right? We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, then he talks about an unintentional sin if it's, if it's an individual. If one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat a year old for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake when he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him. He shall be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is a native and for the sojourner among them. All right, so unintentional sins. Um, What is an unintentional sin? Well, we tend to think of sins in some kind of hierarchy. And certainly society does this uh, based on things that are uh, most socially unacceptable, the things that are just well, pretty much socially okay, right? And, and we tend to think of sins in those terms, right? 
So um, on the lowest, least offensive thing might be something like telling a white lie, right? And so that would be on the one. And then on the other end, we think of just the most horrible, offensive, heinous, wicked thing that could possibly be imaginable. You know, something like, I don't know, voting for Donald Trump, say, or something else just horrible like that. Well, that went by over most of you, but... Um, uh, and we, we have this hierarchy of, of how we think things are, are good or kind of bad to terrible. Right? And, and our, our basis for that is how society views the, the wrong. But I hope we all understand and know that God doesn't judge sin that way. right? God doesn't look at uh, Western culture and say, well, you know, like, like, this is pretty acceptable in, 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 in the West, so I don't know, maybe it's not that bad. God does not do that. Right? And in fact, we're going to see here in a minute an example where a guy's out collecting firewood. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't put collecting firewood high on my list of terrible sins. Right? Um, in fact, it's morally, there's nothing wrong with it. Right? Uh, there's something else going on here. So, so what makes something intentional or unintentional? It's not, it's not the act itself necessarily. Right? And, and it's true that certainly there are sins that are more harmful than others. But in God's mind, that's not his first uh, or only concern. He is, just like with worship, he's concerned about the attitude and intention of the heart, right? What was the motive and reason behind what they did? And, and, and what's apparent is with unintentional sins, um, the attitude was one of, of, of an honest mistake. It was ignorant. Uh, and, and honestly, I, I, have, I have done this in my life. And when I was first a believer, uh, I saw sin mostly as the external things that I did. I did plenty of external things that were shameful and sinful. And I, I had to deal with those things. Uh, and so when, when those started to get kind of cleaned up and a little more under control and I wasn't uh, practicing those as much, God started turning the focus from my outward behavior to my inward heart. And it was one of the most painful things of my whole life because I thought I was a pretty good person. Right? And, and God shone the spotlight on the pride of my life. And I started to see how unbelievably conceited and arrogant I was. Now, I did it in a very socially accepted way. I was a pastor, right? And I was, I was serving God, right? But God showed, started showing me how much of what I was doing was for my own glory and my own name and, and to impress people. That I was very caught up in what people thought. And if I didn't get enough praise after a sermon, if I didn't have enough people say, wow, that was a good sermon, I'd be depressed for a long time. Why? Because what was driving me was a heart of pride. And I was obliv- I seriously was oblivious to it. Right? It, was, it was a blindness in my life. Right? And oftentimes, we, we, our pride and our selfishness, our, our failure to really love God and, and others, is so much a part of our existence Right? It's so much a part of who we are, we, we don't even see uh, these sins. They are unintentional sins, but they are a huge offense to God. Right? And the point of this is not this idea that, well, the unintentional sins are ones you don't have to really worry about because they're not that bad. 
You just have to worry about the intentionals. No. Both, all of them require atonement. Right? An animal had to, had to give up its life and its blood to make atonement, even for these accidental sins of ignorance that they were un- unaware of. It costs. It requires atonement uh, in order for there to be forgiveness. Uh, the word also literally means, uh, the word in Hebrew literally is to go astray or to wander. And it's this idea of a sheep, uh, and, and sheep we know are quite stupid, and they would, they would graze themselves into lostness. Right? A sheep would never run away on purpose because it knew it needed to be with the flock. But in their oblivion, they would start grazing and grazing and grazing and grazing until they were separated from the flock and completely lost. Right? And that, that's this picture of a person who, who is not trying to run away from God, but because of inattention and because they're not careful and because they're following too much their own thoughts and ideas and, and, and their own heart. They wander farther and farther until they have fallen into sin. And and they may not even really know how they got there. Um, uh, So so they need atonement. But then he talks about another category of intentional sin, uh, which is even more alarming. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he's a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. Uh, Intentional sin is, is done with a high hand. And a high hand is the idea of defiance against God. It's this idea that this person that shakes their fist at God and says, God, don't tell me what to do. Right? I am going to be in control of my own life. Right? And that sounds horrible. That sounds like an awful person. But honestly, it is often the, the very religious and very moral person who has this attitude. Right? This was the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders who killed Jesus. Right? They were very good people. They, they were very diligent to not sin outwardly. But inwardly, they defied God and they reviled His name. Uh, to revile God means to scorn or mock or blaspheme Him. To be defiant. To refuse to put yourself under God's rule and authority. Right? That's an intentional sin. When we decide we know what's best and we don't really care what God's rules are. I know better. And he says not only that, but it's to despise the word of the Lord. And the word despise here is to, to accord little worth to something, to make it insignificant and unimportant. In other words, my opinions and ideas come above Scripture. Right? And I decide what parts of the Bible I like and what parts I don't. And I pick and choose, well, I like that verse. I think that has value. But the rest of it I don't like because it doesn't agree with what I think. And it reminds us that we, we are not naturally in accord with Scripture. We don't naturally line up with what the Bible teaches. Uh, and and if, you, if you don't believe that, just read it. And you don't get very far before it will start annoying you. Right? And you're like, well, that doesn't seem right. right? And we want to judge Scripture. 
And that's this person. This person who's sinning intentionally is judging God's word and they're making decisions about what they will follow and what they won't based on their opinions that are over, over the word. Right? Instead of the word being the rule that governs us. Right? He says that's an intentional sin. When we decide what's right and wrong based on our thought, our opinion, or what, on what the world tells us uh, we can do because it's socially acceptable. And so they break the commandments. Uh, and and in, 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 I hope you understand that in, in these first five books of the Bible, the commandments are related to covenant relationship. Right? To break the commandment isn't just to break a rule. It is to break covenant relationship with God. So, for example, in marriage, we, we, we have a ceremony where we formally make a covenant relationship with our spouse. Right? Do you remember that? Those of you who are married, I was married a long time. I still remember that. And I made certain promises and pledges to Denise. Uh, and one of them is that I would, I would forsake all others. In other words, she would be the only person in my life who would fulfill this role as, as a wife. Right? I, wouldn't, I wouldn't look for those needs to be met in other people. Right? So if, if I were to do that, if I were to go um, look for that in, in, other, in other women, right, I would be breaking not only a rule but I would be breaking covenant relationship with her. I would be destroying uh, the bond of that relationship that we made together, that promise. And so in that, I would be scorning and mocking her. And that's what adultery is. Adultery is scorning and mocking the one that we promised to love faithfully. And so when, when they break God's commandments, they are breaking covenant relationship with Him. And and. And here's the scary thing. He says that, um, that, that for this person, there is no offering. There is no offering to bring atonement and forgiveness. So they are, it says they are utterly cut off. The word in Hebrew is hikaret tikaret. I love that. Hikaret tikaret. Um, Kind of like hickory dickory clock, dock, right? Only it has a much different meaning. It means cut off, cut off. Totally cut off. You lose. There is no salvation. His sin and his guilt will be upon him. And then he gives an example. He says, One time, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath, and those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. Hikaret tikaret. He's cut off. And the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. Um, He's just gathering firewood. right? He didn't murder anybody. right? He didn't... He he didn't do all these horrible things that we consider socially acceptable. He's just gathering sticks. Right? But, but he was breaking the Sabbath, a day set apart by God to be holy. Uh, now, now, there's the possibility that he was confused about what day it was. Okay, that would be an unintentional sin. He went out in the morning, and he was gathering, and he thought it was Thursday, and he didn't realize it was Saturday. No problem. Right? But, but here's the thing. When you live in a whole country where the whole nation is observing this, and, and you walk by 50 tents where people are sitting at home, Relaxing and, and enjoying the day and, and Sabbathing, 
and you walk by them all and you go out into the wilderness and you find you're the only one out there. You're like, wow, it's a good day. I'm going to get lots of firewood today because I don't have to compete with anybody. And uh, you start gathering firewood. And you know it's the Sabbath. Right? It, it is defiant. It is shaking my fist at God saying, I don't really care about your dumb rules. Right? I'm going to do what I want. And so he is cut off from the people. Now this uh, raises a, uh, should raise for us a huge question. Right? I don't know about you, but I know that a lot of my sins are pretty intentional. Right? And I have, like I said, I have my pride and things that I was just oblivious to in my blindness. But there's plenty of things that I have done that I was very aware of. It was not an accident. It was intentional sin. And when we look at Scripture, uh, the, the New Testament would tell us that that's true for all of us. Right? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Because sons of disobedience is a description of an intentional sinner, intentionally disobedient, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were driven by the desires of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay? We, we are guilty of, of intentional sin. We are a people uh, like Israel who at one point in our life we have, or another, we have rejected God. We have defied Him. We have scorned and mocked His commands because we turned away from them and we did our own thing. So what does that mean for us? What can we do if there is no sacrifice for atonement of intentional sins? Right? We're all in serious trouble. Um, but thankfully, uh, we live under a new covenant. Um, we live under a new age. And in the Old Testament, there was no sacrifice. But praise God, in Jesus, there is a sacrifice that is sufficient for even intentional rebellion. Romans 5, 8 to 10 says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, and here the idea is still in that state of rebellion against him, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... There's that word. While we were enemies against God, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. How much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? Praise God that Jesus is a greater sacrifice. His blood is sufficient even to change our wicked, rebellious hearts. Uh, and, and, and it is all of God, right? Because of our wickedness and rebellion, we never reached out to God on our own. 
It was as he worked in our heart and he changed our heart and he showed us our sin. He showed us our rebellion and he gave us a different heart that, that wanted something different. That was willing to confess and repent our sin and to receive his grace. So therefore, uh, Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. We who were dead to the uttermost, he is able to save to the uttermost. Amen? And that is God's grace. That is God's grace. We do not deserve this. Uh, and, and we must never take that grace for granted. Okay? Scripture is also very clear that, that his grace is never a license to keep on sinning. Like we were rebellious against God and when we came to him, he changed our rebellious heart and gave us a new heart through the grace and blood of Jesus. Uh, and now we, we must live differently. So he warns us in Hebrews 10, if we go on sinning deliberately, intentionally, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, that's what they did. They, they, they set it aside. They despised the word, right? Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the Spirit of grace. We've got to be careful. Right? The sacrifice of Jesus is enough. Um, but, but it means we need to change our life. Right? Uh, we, we need to set our path with a new commitment to him. And that's how the passage ends. Last thing, the, 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 the tassels on the garments. We'll, we'll quit here. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments through their generations, and to put a blue cord on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at, at, look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments to be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Uh, he says, finally, he says, we need to remember. And he, he set up a very tangible way for them to remember. And they were to have tassels, uh, fringes or tassels on the corners of their garments. And he said, you were to put in that a blue cord that would be a reminder every day to keep the word, to keep his commandments. Um, and it's a great reminder for us to be building into our life daily habits uh, to remember the priority of God and his word in our life. So how do we do that? Uh, I looked through my closet. I couldn't find one single shirt with tassels. Um, what are, what are some of the blue cords that we can build into our life so that we don't uh, follow after heart? Literally, the word here is spy out the desires of your heart. Again, going back to the previous passage, that, that you don't follow after the things your heart seeks, which is a reminder here that your heart does not lead you well. Everybody know that? Do not follow your own heart. Your heart is selfish. 
And it will lead you in the wrong direction. We need to put God's word over our heart. To whore after means to sell out to false loves. Being unfaithful to our true lover by abandoning them and forsaking them and going after other loves. That's where our heart will take us. Well, here's one possibility of uh, maybe a blue cord in our life. Uh, It's pumpkin spice. It's Thanksgiving time, pumpkin spice. Uh, So maybe you could... Maybe God could have written this. Thou shalt put, put spice in thine pumpkin. And that shall be to you a reminder of God's grace and faithfulness to you. And, and when thou shalt make thy lattes and thy bread and thy pies and thy muffins. And in whatever else you shall add thy pumpkin, you shall add thy pumpkin spice. That it may be a reminder to you to remember God's word and do all that I command you. Try that. It's actually not in the Bible. Even though it sounds King James-ish, it's not in the Bible, just to be clear, okay? Just make sure on that. I don't know, right, how this works for you. Certainly, for one of us, the Lord's Supper is one of those things. It is set as a reminder. as a tangible, uh, hands-on reminder, right? Um, I think daily memorizing Scripture is vital, right? Putting God's Word into our heart. Uh, but I'll let you think today. Maybe it's a good conversation today at lunch. What can you do to put some pumpkin spice into your life as a reminder. Right? And I hope not. I hope this works. I really hope this works. I hope every time you see a pumpkin spice ad, every time you go to Starbucks and you see pumpkin spice latte, that the first thing you think of is, wow, God is good. And, and I want to follow his word. Right? I hope it's kind of a subliminal thing. Put God's word first. Pumpkin spice. Right? I don't know. But it, that, was the, that was the intention for Israel. That blue cord... They would see it. They would say, God comes first. His word has to be supreme over my life. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.